Hello everybody, this is Pat Lynch. I'm the Director of Career Services at Lyon College, and this is Kilt Radio, and the maiden voyage, the beginning of a new podcast that we're starting called Career Pathways. What's Career Pathways? We're going to be talking to all kinds of interesting people about different careers and how they start at college and where you can end up. So. Uh, any student that's thinking about a particular major and wondering what kind of career can I uh, achieve from that major, well this is the show for you and I'm looking forward to having meetings with a lot of our really, really smart faculty, staff, and then I'm just going to throw in a couple surprises along the way. Uh, today our first guest is going to be Dr. Jason Kennedy, he's our professor of archaeology, and he's, he's going to uh, just tell us you know, everything about archaeology. I promise somewhere in this interview I'm going to get in a reference about Indiana Jones, so hang in there with me. And so I'd like to just say hello to Dr. Kennedy. Well, Pat, thanks. It's a pleasure to be yeah. here. I'm happy to be the, the first guest. I think that's a, a tremendous honor. So. I appreciate you asking me to do this. Well, awesome. A uh, great way to start is uh, if we could just get like kind of a bio, your background, uh, so we could learn a little bit more about you. Okay. Well, um, my name Jason Kennedy. I uh, grew up in southeast Missouri, not about two and a half hours north of here. I uh, kind of was always interested in the past. I was kind of that five-year-old kid out there digging around in the backyard, finding the ham bones that my grandfather's beagles had buried. And, you know, at the time, I called them dinosaur vertebra, right? Yeah. So I was, I was huge into dinosaurs. And somewhere along the way, about middle school, high school, I decided that people were more interesting. So I kind of switched gears away from the dinosaurs and started kind of focusing a little bit on the things that were coming out of the ground around my house. I grew up across from cotton and bean fields. And mm-hmm. so every year after the plow, new things would come up. And so I kind of got an interest in what people were making in the past. And that kind of fed into an interest in history. Uh, pursued that in undergrad and triple majored in anthropology, classics, and history. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really easy to do, and all three of those are really tied together. Right. So don't you know, don't go around panicking that you got a triple major to be an archaeologist. Yeah. You don't. Right. Um, all those classes counted for all three. Um, and then I decided to pursue a career in archaeology. I got did a field school in Jordan. Mm-hmm. Um, that taught me kind of some of the basics. We excavated um, a Bronze Age Edomite for those of you who are interested in biblical archaeology cemetery. Um, uh, you might have, for us, not so intelligent, an Edomite is what? Not a snack fruit, I hope. No, the okay. kingdom of Edom. Oh. So if you go back and read right. you know, in, in the Old Testament, it's one of the uh, neighboring kingdoms of Israel uh, and Judah. So and the reason we were there as I was kind of on a, a biblical trek is kind of looking for evidence of a, a kingdom in Edom before the kingdom of Israel, before the arrival of the Israelites out of, out of Egypt because they pass through Edom and the king allows them passage. Right. So kind of looking for some of those practices. Uh, so in some sense, trying to verify the historical account of the Bible. Excellent. And, and, your te- and then af- after getting your doctorate, your teaching career started where? T- and, to, uh, and then I guess you, you know, it ended here at Lyon. So kind of what, what was that journey? Yeah, it's... Doctor, it was a, a whole other story. We could talk for hours about right. that. But, you know, I started teaching at a local school in upstate New York, not too far from where I got my doctorate. Um, my wife, Jennifer, she got a position in Michigan. 
uh, at Central Michigan University. She was the lucky one, got the position first. Uh, so we moved out, and I kind of found my way to teaching at a couple of different schools, mostly at Central Michigan University as well, um, as an adjunct. That adjunct hustle is tough. I was taught at three different schools at one time, so mm-hmm. I was fortunate enough to finally find a, a home here at Lyon, and year, starting year two, and I absolutely love it here. Awesome. Now, yeah, I, I kind of you know start digressing. Central Michigan, Chippewas? Chippewas, yep. Oh man, I'm proud of myself. Boy, this is, this is only going to go uphill from here. So, the study of archaeology, kind of how would you define that as far as if, you know, just I guess the actual definition and then if you were explaining it to like students that are first year students and they you're trying to tell them this, you know, what this is all about, why it could be interesting for them. Yeah, I, I have two definitions of archaeology, and one is kind of the tongue-in-cheek, and the, the textbook definition, um, it is archaeology is the study of human history through the material remains mm-hmm. of the past, so the things that people left behind. Uh, the tongue-in-cheek definition is the study of old people's garbage. Yeah. I mean, just the reality is that most people don't leave behind things that are important to them, so a lot of what we find is trash, it's things that are disposed of, thrown away. Of course, occasionally we get these kind of amazing finds that everybody loves to talk about, right like, you know, uh, King Tut's tomb or Pompeii and Herculaneum, right. where we have this kind of excellent preservation that isn't kind of the standard archaeological norm. Uh, but for me, what I, I love about archaeology is that it's repiecing part of a story. It's a jigsaw puzzle of the past, right? It's, uh, but it's a jigsaw puzzle because of preservation issues, because of uh, destruction in soil levels. It's 85% of those pieces are missing. Yeah. Right? And so when we kind of excavate, when we do new excavations and we find one of those pieces, odds are it's not going to connect to something else. But when it does, it's just a little bit more of that picture. So if you really like jigsaw puzzles and like to kind of piece through and kind of look through the reasoning of this, the archaeological past is just a trove of new information. Every new excavation adds something else to the picture. And sometimes it's connected and sometimes it's not, but that's the fun part too. Yeah, and you know, uh, I was just thinking that, you know, in a modern context, I remember having you as a guest lecturer in the spring semester in consumer behavior. And it was all about how to understand consumers by studying their garbage. <laughs> Tell us about it. Well, yeah, so the, yeah. at the University of Arizona, uh, researchers there basically took a look and tried to track consumer behavior. But what they were finding in consumer surveys is that people are not always honest, and we shouldn't find that surprising at all, right? right? You want, you're going to ask me how many beers I have a week. I'm going to tell you maybe two, and the reality is it's probably it's more like six or eight. Um, so that kind of idea, I want to appear virtuous, so I don't necessarily say I eat a whole lot of fast food, I cook at home, I don't drink a lot of beer, those types of things. And so what we started to look at is that we could test those surveys. We could look at the garbage that people left behind. And so they did a, ser- a longitudinal study over 20 years, of collecting garbage and recycling in Tucson, and what they found was that all in all, people tend to, tended to inflate the things that made them look good, downplay the things that made them look bad, but the reality is that our consumer surveys, we needed to take with a grain of salt. And so that's the real benefit of that project for people in the business world. Yeah, yeah and I, I remember uh, when uh, Nielsen changed their ratings on TV shows and and in uh, radio shows, and all of a sudden, you know, people were not watching as much NPR and all these other things that they said they were. They were watch, watching all these terrible reality yeah, shows. Yeah, Jerry, Jerry Springer got a huge <laughs> rating set, right? Yeah, I gotta love it. The 
the study of archaeology, how has that changed, you know, over the years? Because I imagine there's, you know, cultural sensitivities, just, you know, th your best practices, you know, there's the probably the whole area of science and just how to do things smarter and better. I mean, kind of, how has it really evolved? Well, I mean, archaeology started as one of these kind of colonial disciplines. It was right. something that rich, affluent Europeans did to collect things that were pretty for collections, private collections, museums. Um, our institutions like the Smithsonian, the British Museum, the Louvre, yeah. these are all built on those archaeological collections. And beginning around the turn of the 20th century, we started to get a standardized methodology. And at that point, archaeology mer uh, kind of merged away from that kind of collections aspect towards a, a discipline or study mm -hmm. of the past. Um, and you're right, there's been a lot of changes as we've seen changes in the way that people perceive the world around them and interact with each other. We have cultural sensitivities have been a major push. Um, probably the watershed moment in uh, archaeological history is the passage of NAGPRA um, in 1990, the Native American Graves Protection and Repatriation Act, which really kind of uh, changed the way that archaeology was done in the United States and required consultation and collaboration with descendant indigenous communities. So for the first time, archaeologists actually had to reach out and say, you know what, I'm working on Choctaw indigenous land, let's actually talk to the Choctaw and figure out what they want, how they interpret their history, how can we work with these groups to create a more interpretive uh, picture of the past that incorporates not just what I'm interested in in terms of the scientific collection of, say, um, ancient potsherds, right, but what the Choctaw have, have to say about their history. You know, and we were talking earlier about just how this is now leading to a lot of repatriation. You know, these, all this whole thing around collection. Well, not you know all. So now there are all these great museums, New York, London. You know, that have these great collections that were basically stolen <laughs> or taken without permission. Politely, <laughs> taken without permission. And now you know, there's uh, there's serious talk about what do you you know how do you reverse that and return it back to their rightful home. Yeah, and this is a conversation we have in archaeological ethics yeah. uh, in classes here at Lyon, and it's there's no easy answer. Right? There's no, um, most of it falls upon the UNESCO Accords in 1972. The United Nations um, Educational, Scientific, and Cultural Organization basically came together and recognized that looting of antiquities was a problem, and so before 1972, anything kind of gets grandfathered in. After that, we have to follow strict strict protocols about where things were uh, acquired, follow provenience, and that kind of threw a big wrench in the art market, not that it stopped the illegal looting of antiquities. Um, the Hobby Lobby case proved that when they got caught buying illegal antiquities from groups like ISIS. Um, but what we can kind of see is that that kind of had that benchmark. And after that conversation, museums who had collections right. um, were really kind of forced into a conversation with countries from which those collections came. And so there's a lot of discussion on, say, the Benin bronzes, which were taken um, during European colonialization of West Africa, where they belong, are they should they be in display in the, the British Museum, how many of them should be returned um, to West African nations. So um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a tricky conversation, but it's one that is pushing archaeology in the right direction. Well, now, you have to prove me wrong, all right? Here you are, you're an archaeology major, you're graduating. Is the next step being a barista at Starbucks or are there, are there legit good 
jobs, career paths for archaeology majors? Well, it depends on how seriously you take your latte art. All um, right. Well, but yeah, and, and, yeah. <laughs> and no swing. No, we, this podcast does not advocate violence. So you no, know, but really, no. It's just uh, you know, it's one that you know we've talked you and I about just you know the interesting careers that it, it, people really don't realize and understand. Uh, with archaeology. This is where I did my homework, right? Um, I knew I was going to come on here. Um, the biggest misconception in archaeology is, is kind of the basic idea is nobody really knows when archaeology is done. When was the last time you saw an archaeologist doing a dig? Um, and that kind of perpetuates the fallacy that there are no jobs in archaeology. Um, I tell my students all the time, if you graduate with a bachelor's you finish your field, you do a field school, that is you actually learn field methods and how to do archaeology, I will get you the day, a job the day you graduate. I have friends who are working for private uh, cultural resource management firms, I've got friends working in the government who need to hire archaeologists. Um, the Bureau of Labor Statistics projects a 6% growth um, in the field of archaeology. There are currently 705 openings nationwide, um, including six here in Arkansas and two in Memphis. So you don't even have to go to, say, New Mexico, although if you wanted to go to New Mexico, I'm sure my friend Matt would hire you in Albuquerque tomorrow. Uh, who, would, who would, like in Arkansas, who would be hiring archaeologists? Well, uh, so the largest uh, employer of archaeologists, not surprisingly, is the federal government. Um, they own 640 million acres. About a third of the United States is owned in, by the federal government. They manage it. And a law such as the National Environmental Protection Act, um, the Archaeological Resources uh, Protection Act, um, the National uh, Section 106 of the National Historical Registry, um, require these uh, government agencies to do inventories of the archaeological remains on those lands. So that's 640 million acres, right, that have to be surveyed, documented, excavated, and that is a constant full-time job. And so we have archaeologists who work for I was kind of shocked at some of these. U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, U.S. Department of Agriculture, the Bureau of Land Management, the Army Corps of Engineers, the National Park Service, the U.S. Forest Service, the General Services Administration, and the U.S. State Department. All hire archaeologists in part to manage these federal lands, but in terms of the State Department, it's to have those repatriation conversations. Excellent. It's to, to kind of monitor the sale of antiquities. Um, so, well, and I know like in uh, this country, we're, we're finally investing in infrastructure. So infrastructure can mean roads, mm -hmm. and roads how, can then involve archaeologists. Right. Part of what you have to do to build a road or any project that receives federal funding. Right. So Lyon, because we receive federal student aid money, if we want to build a new building on campus, the first thing we have to do is do a survey a cultural history survey, and some they'll have to hire an archaeologist to come in and survey the grounds. Um, so anything, any project that receives federal funding, and that's most Department of Transportation things, uh, here with the Infrastructure Act in Arkansas, that's things like uh, doing fiber optic cable, right? It's highways, it's pipelines, it's bridges, it's all of this infrastructure that we're talking about. Archaeologists have to come in first and make sure they're not going to destroy any uh, culturally significant uh, remains. Mm -hmm. um, and most of that is just green lighting. It's going in through and making sure we're dotting our I's and crossing our T's. Um, I've done what we call shovel test pits. It's right. take a shovel width, you dig down until you reach the bedrock and you screen what's there. Um, and you know, you can do 100 or 50 to 100 of those a day and 99% of them are going to come up negative um, in most instances. And so, but what we've done is verify that there's nothing there. 
right? And that's important work. Uh, my, modern archaeology, because it seems, you know, the, a lot of what we're talking about are antiquities, things from long, long, long ago, but there's things, archaeology also has a place in terms of the study of the more modern world. Right. I mean, so the, the Section 106 requires the, the registration of historically significant places. So that doesn't have to be a 10,000-year-old Paleo-Indian site. That can be something like, something I didn't know when I moved to Arkansas, the inter Japanese internment camps that were stationed here in Arkansas. Those were the 1930s and 40s, right? And so when we start to look at that, that is an archeological site that has really important historical consequences. So we can go, and there have been archeologists working at these sites to kind of document what was life like in the internment camps for Japanese Americans. Um, my advisors are currently working on projects in Berlin, excavating um, Nazi internment camps and uh, the practices, for example, of around uh, human remains studies for Joseph Mengele. Mm -hmm. right, so those are important historical questions that have a, a direct uh, kind of pertinence for our modern situation. So it's not just kind of ancient remains that are esoteric and not of kind of modern interest. It's we're starting to look. Yeah. And it's and you know one thing going back to kind of earlier what you said is uh, to be a, an archaeologist it, it how how learned do you need to be in like classical studies history it seems very interdisciplinary it's not that you're just there and you're digging up stuff you know there has you're doing things within the context of a lot of different uh, different disciplines is that. Yeah, I mean, that's why archaeology is housed in yeah. anthropology in the United States, because right. it's kind of a little bit of everything. Right? Yes. Anthropology is the study of humanity, and so we're, we're drawing on history, we're drawing on kind of our understandings of our biology, we're drawing on a good understanding of soil geochemistry, mm -hmm. um, we're kind of looking at all this kind of stuff and coming together is kind of create, um, I, it was a great quote by a um, anthropologist by the name of Alfred Kroeber, uh, and anthropology is the most scientific of the humanities and most humanistic of the sciences. So it's kind of one of those things where what we do is very much scientifically driven, but it's based from understanding our shared experiences in history. So we do, we draw on classics, we draw on history. But as far as what you need to know, um, that's really up to the archaeology that you want to do. Right. If you want to do Roman archaeology, taking classes in Native American history may not be the best use of your time. Right? So you can kind of draw and apply that um, in terms of educational experience. But at the same time, you need that hands-on experience, and those skills are what translate. So you learn how to excavate. Um, you learn how to do survey, right? those types of things. Then you can transfer that anywhere in the world. All right. Uh, most famous archaeologist... Uh, now, for me, it's Indiana Jones. Now, I'm, I'm probably dead wrong, but help me here. You know, how do archaeologists, you know, view Indiana Jones, and then who are like the like really true, <laughs> true noteworthy archaeologists that have been out there, besides yourself? Besides, yeah, <laughs> we already got that one done. Um, well, India, we have a love-hate relationship with Indiana Jones. Like a lot <laughs> of us were inspired, thought this was a cool idea because of Indiana Jones. I. I'm drawn towards world travel, and um, I don't necessarily, I'm, I'm not the type, if you know me, I'm not the type to run from Nazis. I'm much more like the type to turn around and punch a Nazi, but that's neither here nor there. Right. Um, I certainly don't like getting shot at, right. um, so that you can keep that part of the Indiana Jones sagas to yourself. Uh, but, you know, I have the hat. Um, All right. I, I'd be lying if I told you I hadn't <laughs> worn khakis and a vest and 
uh, to Halloween or something like that. So no, we have that kind of uh, love hate because it's good for the discipline to have that out there as this kind of recognizable symbol of what archaeology is. But there's also a lot of negative stereotypes about what archaeology does. It, it perpetuates archaeology as the exotic. Indiana Jones is always going elsewhere. He's never in his backyard. And the reality is that there are archaeological excavations going on right now today in Arkansas. Um, so I think it kind of pushes people to consider it something that's really interesting and fascinating, but it's not something I can do here. Yeah. It's not something that uh, has a future for me. Well, who, who in archaeology are the pioneers, like, the, like your uh, role models or the people that, that you looked at, aspired to? I think a lot of people, um, we start looking at the, in the pioneers of uh, the field, someone like Kathleen Kenyon. Mm-hmm. Um, she excavated in Jerusalem and Jericho. Um, had a lot of methodological advances. We call kind of the basic technique the Wheeler Kenyon method that she helped develop with uh, Sir Mortimer Wheeler, her kind of advisor, uh, coming out of the early 20th century. Uh, but it's for me, it's less about kind of how people approach the discipline, but more how people approach the study of the past in a certain frame of reference. Um, so I, I tend to admire people who recognize. Um, the, the mutability of the past, the, its role in kind of telling our story in the present. And so there's an archaeology here f- that really much relies on connecting with people. Uh, one of the things, that, one of the classes I'm teaching right now at Line with um, Jamie Berry, right, we're teaching that ceramics class. It's a hand-on, hands-on instructional class to teach people how to make ceramics with the technical decisions that ancient potters made. To me, that's the kind of thing I'm drawn to because I want to be able to make that a tangible experience for everyone. Well, if you uh, uh, wanted to be an archaeology major, what uh, courses would you be taking to lead up to uh, graduation? Well, with our, we're, we're in the process of revamping the program yeah, here. Yeah. So next year, that answer is going to be a little bit different. No problem. Um, hopefully. With, but what we can kind of start to think about, the things you should take here... Um, Really, all you need to be an archaeologist is a field school. So you don't have to major in anthropology. We would love to have you major in anthropology because I have some archaeology classes, um, archaeological method and theory, um, cultural resource management law and practice. So that's where we're going to learn how to do a lot of the governmental paperwork and bureaucracy and learn how to actually do archaeology within the confines of the American legal system. Um, uh, artifact analysis, where we're going to learn how to break down and analyze artifacts. And then I'm teaching... This summer, and hopefully every other summer following that, an archaeological field school. Be a five-week program. We'll take you out three days a week, and we will dig. I'll teach you how to set up trenches, excavate, record, uh, do some basic analysis. We'll do survey work. And everything that you're going to need to know on the job, we're going to handle there. Um, so when you, if you major in anthropology, you know, the focus in archaeology here, you will have all the tools you need in terms of the understanding of the legal system and paperwork and the methodological know-how to get a job as an archaeologist. And that's a pretty lucrative profession. I mean, yeah. the, just looking, starting pay, $19 an hour, the median pay in Arkansas for an archaeologist is uh, $61.90 a year. All right. So, you so know, pretty good pretty coming good. out of school. Coming out of school, yeah. right. And so when you kind of get started, um, certainly beat Starbucks. That's right. Yeah. Who said that? Was it me? <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't remember. But, oh, no, well, uh, well, well done. Uh, any uh, last words or anything as far as about you know about archaeology anthropology i would just say that take the classes that sound interesting to you and if archaeology the study of the past is one of them come give it a try 
Um, if you're thinking about this as a career, the best advice I can give anyone is to go get your hands dirty because this is a career where you actually have to enjoy the field work because if you don't, it's going to burn you out, chew you up and spit you out um, really easily. Um, also, just don't think that the only thing you can do is be a professor. Mm -hmm. uh, I love what I do, but there are a lot of job opportunities and that's where people fall off the track with archaeology despite the passion or love they have for it. Well, excellent. Well, Jason Kennedy, it was a smart choice having you as our first guest. You were, it was awesome. It was a great conversation. Learned a lot. And with that, that is Career Pathways, our first, uh, our first podcast. I think we've, we've, uh, we're off to a good start. And stay tuned. Uh, we'll have more uh, podcasts along the way on Kilt Radio. So this is Pat Lynch signing off. Thanks a lot. This broadcast is sponsored in part by Lion College and also sponsored in part by Kilt Radio.